0: Welcome to uh, our session about how to care for those that are sick and suffering. My name's Tom Patton. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church, and I want to introduce the men also who are here who are gonna be on this panel to be able to answer any questions you might have. We call this a conversation, and so it's really uh, a unique kind of format where you're asking questions and we're answering, and it's like a conversation between us. Uh, Let me start first with uh, Dr. John Stop first, so he can introduce himself and uh, what he does here at Grace Church and what he does as a ministry.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome. Um, Yeah, I'm John Scott. I'm a medical doctor. I'm in internal medicine, so that's an adult physician, so I take care of 18-year-olds and and higher. And I'm a lay elder here, uh, which means that I'm you know, a uh, you know full-time physician, and um, also um, on on the uh, elder board here as well, and um, the type of things that I, I that I do a lot of different things around here. But you know, I, I like to say that you know my esteemed colleagues here are all seminary trained. Um, I am just a humble country doctor from Canyon Country, is what I, what I like to say. Uh, one of the local uh, towns here. But anyway, um, I, I'm a lay elder, but I've been very blessed to have sat under Pastor John's teaching for 43 years. So um, hopefully you get to pick something up along the way. So, um, but as far as questions, if you have you know, different questions uh, today, uh, things, things about how to approach I'm sure all of you have done this at one time or another, but like how to approach going into a hospital, what to expect, um, what's the etiquette there, what are the things that you might encounter, um, you know, how to, to do it to do it well, you know, or a nursing home or some other uh, you know milieu that you're going to go and care for someone uh, and give them pastoral care. So those are kind of the questions that that I would be happy to to help you with today.
2: All right, and Rick, if you introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Rick McLean. I'm a pastor here, elder. Um, we have a unique ministry here uh, for those with disabilities. Uh, th- we might have been one of the first churches that started that ministry many years ago, back in the 70s. Uh, and uh, Johnny Erickson Tata was here at, at that time and helped us kind of get this ministry going. And uh, so now we, it's grown over the years. We have a, a Tuesday night outreach that we have. like It's kind of like a WANA for disabled people. And then we have two classes on Sundays, two Sunday classes, and then we have uh, two camps in the summer, and then we have some things on Saturdays we do too. And so we have a, a large amount of different, different disabilities here from cerebral palsy to Down syndrome to autism, which is obviously, I'm sure many of you are aware of that, is the fastest growing disability now uh, is autism. One out of every maybe 50, 60 kids could have it. So that's a ministry that's going to really take off for us, as we have a ministry for young autistic kids here now also. I also, we started a ministry a few years ago to help people that are dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, so I sort of help oversee that also. And then I sort of work alongside with Tom. We uh, try to visit shut-ins here, you know, those people that can't come to church anymore, that are either old or have had some issues in their life. We try to minister to them. We don't want to forget about those special people. So, so if you guys have any questions about the elderly or about disabilities or whatever, we'd... Glad to answer them for you to help you with that.
3: And uh, my name is Bill Shannon. I've been uh, here at Grace Church since 1982. And uh, I've been serving on staff here since 1989. And uh, one of the elders. Uh, my position here is that I oversee the uh, counseling department. Uh, I happen to be a fellow with ACBC, if you're familiar with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And um, we um, are always dealing with folks that are hurting. They have pain. Uh, of various kinds it could be emotional pain it could be physical pain it could be loss whatever it is and we're just trying to help them and to think through it rightly and and appoint them to where they have their greatest hope. Now John mentioned that he was a lay elder and I once heard a lay elder give this description the lay elder uh, does what the staff elder does because they're good for nothing.
0: (laughs) That's a good transition for me. Uh (laughs) I'm Tom Patton. I'm the pastor of what we call pastoral care, but you could also call it congregational care. Um, at Grace Church, we have a very unique setup where the Sunday school classes that we have here for adults, where they're called adult fellowship groups, really minister to all the people who go to those groups. Sometimes it's as uh, large as 500, sometimes uh, 150. And those groups always minister to themselves. But then there's a lot of other people that go here to Grace Church, attend faithfully, are part of our ministry, and are even members but really don't have anyone to reach out to them. And so that's what I do. Um, People come to us. We have um, Enduring loss Ministries where people have had someone that they have lost and we're there to help them while they're going through that grieving stage. As uh, Rick said, we have also visitation of those people who are homebound. We have hospital visitation, as John spoke of. So we try to meet people everywhere we can. And as they come to us with these sometimes excruciating and sometimes almost hard to believe devastations that have happened to them that really rocked their faith. And we're there to help them from everything to making their funeral uh, you know, uh, setting happen, uh, making all of those appointments, uh, to really helping them as they grieve. And so that kind of summarizes what we do here. Um, just wanted to let you know that any question uh, that is coming from your heart uh, about a situation that you're in is, of course, welcome. Or anything that's just theoretical. Maybe you're in ministry here and, or wherever you're from, and you're just questioning, how do you even deal with this? You know, people are living much longer now, and that doesn't mean that they're living with greater um, longevity in terms of uh, their condition. Sometimes they're living to, into the hundreds and yet, at the same time, they're uh, miserable, they're, feel, they're not useful anymore, uh, they're having spiritual battles, un- unbelievable kind of battles, even depression. And so, we're here, again, we don't have all the answers, we're just a uh, group of men that deal with this a lot. And so, because of that, uh, they've asked us to be here.
3: Is that because we're getting older?
0: No, that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. <laughs> um, I, I, I think Bill's the oldest, but I don't know. Uh <laughs> No, I think that the Lord does create a greater empathy as time goes on. Um, As you do get older, it's interesting where your heart reaches out to those people. And it's so uh, significant, at least in my life, where as this ministry is happening more and more in our um, congregation that's getting older, we have people here still that were here when John MacArthur first arrived. So we have charter members here that have been here over 50 years, and they don't seem like they're going anywhere. Uh, and so <laughs> it's a special kind of you know, ministry for us to make sure that we're taking care of those people that were here from the very, very beginning. So it's a precious thing. But that's to say, any questions that you have on your mind, this is, again, a Q&A, a question-and-answer format. Um, so whoever wants to go first, I don't know if we have a microphone. and we We'll really just should. repeat the question. Okay, so we'll just repeat the question. The Just that kind of, do you uh, that's an incredible question i can't really repeat the the t- entirety of it but the uh, but but <laughs> i should have given him the microphone like i thought yeah, yeah. um <laughs> But you're basically saying, like, what are the parameters, what are the boundaries of a ministry like this? Because, and you're so right, you know, when you talk about caregiving, and I'm just going to start and please guys chime in. If uh, When you talk about caregiving, uh, it's really in a very limited fashion. And I kind of think of widows in 1 Thessalonians 5, I kind of think of, or uh, 1 Timothy 5, I think of... Uh, who is to take care of these people? First and foremost, the responsibility, if they're in believing families, is to that family. And so we want to be able to come along and support those families who are there. Sometimes the people who are here, at least our homebound people, uh, sometimes their families have already passed away. Sometimes they've outlived them. Sometimes their families are not believing families, and so we run into issues where they don't even want to support these people. And the complexities of them dying and so many things, uh, uh, their property, uh, their, their uh, possessions, um, all of these things on, on top of their spiritual state are not even a concern for these folks, unless, of course, they want the inheritance in some way. So as we've been going through this, this is a little plug. We are now per, uh, currently working on a book book to help guide folks through the process of once they die, or excuse me, once they die. Yes, we're working on that process. It's called the Bible. Uh, um, uh, that, that You should have a copy of that. Uh, it is, it's It's a, a book about for family members, once either they find out they're dying, once they find out someone else is dying, or even at the very earliest ages, uh, uh, stages of a disease, that they can go through and start to ask those questions very specifically. Um, but at what point do we go outside the boundary of the church or what we're supposed to do. I think we're supposed to be there at every point where, where they ask us to be there. We, we don't want to be intruding. We don't want to sit there and scoot family members aside. Um, there was just a very dear saint who died here not too long ago who was a, a precious part of our congregation, and their family, uh, unbeknownst to us, were very possessive of every single detail and really didn't want us to be involved that much. I've been at the hospital before more than once and told uh, not to come in, not because they didn't love us or, or want us, but it's a very private situation. Other times, uh, they invite you in with all, both arms open, please, we don't ha- know how to deal with this, so... Without being too exact, I think you've got to be just really sensitive to the situation, case by case. Um, but I don't think that we're here to be, um, you know, uh, the the medical answer or the uh, philosophical answer to the entire experience of dying. We're here to meet people where they need us, and I hope that I hope that's sufficient. Guys, do you want to add to that? I, I
3: think what we show is love of Christ. And I think that's what the rest of the community can see, whether they be doctors in the hospital or nurses or even the family. They get to see that, you know, we really do care about the people. It's not that, hey, they can't be there anymore. Who cares about them? And so uh, we're able to call on them and and be able to, to see them. About four weeks ago, I had a man on my fellowship group who had had a, a stroke about a year ago. And he came to me, and he said, Bill, I'm not really feeling well. And he says, look, if I die, I'm going to be uh, buried as a Catholic. And I don't want to be buried as a Catholic. He said, what do I do? I said, send me an email, copy your family, what you want to do. I was in the Ukraine. He had a stroke again. He can't remember, but he did that. And so now that, and I mean, that's not even something you can plan for. It's not even something you can think about. But now at least we have that. And for that day that that happens, we can still give him that uh, kind of proper burial that he he desired. And hopefully it's a witness for his family as we've shown love and we've had people going to see him. And uh, as a matter of fact, I called him up the other day when I got back from the Ukraine. And he said, uh, can you describe yourself to me? I I said, I'm the guy on Sunday morning who talks all the time. And he knew who it was immediately. <laughs> so that's what we want to do: is to is to show them the love of Christ, because I think that extends that uh, to the rest of the family and the community. Yes.
0: Yeah, isn't that the key? Uh, you will have widows that come to us that, uh, and again, men chime in, uh, that are first have to be brought to the reality that they're not widows indeed. That's a hard thing because they, first of all, either spiritually are not at that point. Um, I'm thinking of one lady very specifically who was. we were incredibly as giving as we possibly could. Actually, I think we've given more financially to this one woman than we've given anyone before. And yet um, there was a point where she had to kind of come to the realization that she was pugnacious. Uh, She was obviously scared, obviously desperate. Uh, Her husband did not take care of the affairs before he passed away, which, by the way, is a big plug for all us husbands uh, to get your things in order. Because even though you feel like you're in good health today and you feel like you're going to live into a ripe old age, the truth is, uh, that's not necessarily the truth. So you have to be prepared. That's also a plug for this thing that we're going to create and give to people for free, just a, a, a preparation of what to do. Um, but if it's a widow indeed, um, there are, again, limitations, even when you go back to the scripture about uh, family, you know, and and the responsibility of family. We have... We have men here, Michael Mahoney, who um, had his mother come and live with him. And, you know, that is a big, big endeavor. I grew up with my grandmother living with us. That's kind of going away. It's almost like people are are shunning that to caregiving facilities, which not only cost them an arm and a leg, but but also don't really take the real responsibility and sacrifice. And there's reasons for that, obviously, because people are going to – they have work, they have family you know, you're not always equipped to be the one to change the diapers on your parents. That sometimes is such a personal and such an awkward thing that you really want somebody's help. But the first thing that we have to assess and uh, is, are they really—what kind of help do they really need? And Bill deals with that a lot. We have a deacon's fund here where money is given. We have to assess exactly how that money is given. Do you want to add to that? Yeah,
3: our deacon's fund is for the folks who are members of Grace Community Church and that they actually have a need— And uh, we do check that out. We ask for their financial uh, situation and those kinds of things. And as Tom said, some folks have never really planned for the future. Somehow they think that Social Security is going to take care of it, and it's neither social or security. And so it's really – it's not a, a good system. Uh, to depend upon. So we uh, encourage them uh, as best we can. We do support women who are less than 60 years old, but at the same time, we go beyond just giving them money. We find them an apartment that they can go to where they can become the, the caregiver of the apartment or the supervisor or whatever they call them, superintendent, and they are then getting free housing, and so they can make a little bit of money on the side with the uh, computer work and, and get them trained for that. If we just say, you know, here's money, that doesn't settle the the issue. you got to give them the rest of it, and that means coming alongside them in other ways. And we have men and women in our church who are retired who are looking for ministry, and here's an opportunity to do that. And so they can come alongside them and give them those kinds of uh, skills to be able to get through the rest of
1: life.
0: In fact, our secretary, sorry to cut you off, Rick, but our, our secretary, uh, Evie Anderson, we share her, and uh, she is one of the most wonderful widows uh, that you've ever wanted to meet both her husband and her son passed from cancer and she is working here at the church so our pastor provided her work here and she's just a delight to us so those those do happen
2: we also have a group on mondays that that meet Sorry if that doesn't work, but a group on money that meets and they, widows, and they have some fellowship together and they encourage each other. I think it works now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's been a real blessing over the years having that kind of groups. So. Oh, I need you to turn it on. <laughs> okay, anyway, you want, to, if you want to say anything?
1: Yeah, and I think one of the really, really key things um, is that when you go um, and visit someone, you know, whether it be, you know, a widow, whether it be somebody in the hospital, whether it be someone in their home, a shut in, um, it means the world to them just that you came and, you know, that you're there to pray with them, to share some scripture with them. I mean, it means the world. It means the world. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been in that kind of situation before and somebody reached out to you and, and it just, it means everything. Uh, So it's such a blessing. So, um, you know, that's one of the the even simple things you can do is just go visit. And it doesn't have to be always the pastor. I mean, it can be, you know, lay people. You know, like we have a a ton of lay people Uh, I I ran into. I I was coming here for in an, one of the afternoons a couple weeks ago to do, you know, drop something off. And I ran into one of our our lay guys uh, in the parking lot, and he had just returned from visiting somebody in the hospital. You know, he's retired, like we were talking about. So, you know, it's not it's not just you. It can be, you know, like an army of people in your church that are, uh, you know, feel gifted and desire, you know, to do that kind of uh, work.
3: You know, just like you can't do all the counseling in the church, uh, you can't do all the hospital visitation and the uh, whatever it is, you train people to be able to do that, and I think that's the the way to go as a, as a church and as as pastors, is to make sure there's somebody else alongside you. Whenever I go out to a hospital visit, I grab one of my interns, come with me. You know, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Just so they get an idea of what it looks like, um, and so that that's training, and you're training so they have many hands doing the work. And so that's, that's a suggestion.
0: But to really get specific with what your question was as well, it's really difficult because people's lives are uh, super complicated and super messy. And when you knew her uh, when she was married to the man that uh, died and now she's a widow – All kinds of things come to the surface that you were not aware of, uh, spiritual issues that were there, financial irresponsibilities that were there. And so what happens is, and this is what you got to prepare yourself for, is to train other men, because you can't do everything if you're the lead pastor, to train other men to come in or other women in that particular case, come alongside and really set up a foundation for a long period of time. Because you're going to be getting into all kinds of details and and dilemmas that that person has not shared, and so you know financial stability for a situation like that, um, it takes first of all for her to be was she even a part of a group of Bible study or a life application group? What, has she extended herself to other people in the church? We have people that come here to Grace Church that literally come at the very uh, right before John preaches and leave when he prays and they have absolutely no connection to anybody you think is that happened at grace church yeah that happens here too and so when they have a devastation in their life guess what there's nobody there but us and it's almost like coming to the institution it's like coming to the government and asking for a handout but they didn't prepare in so many ways so you have to be ready for that
3: well, i think tom gave a description of grace church before that we have these fellowship groups where people are connected <clears throat> and we have generally around six to 7,000 people who attend church on Sunday, but we only have about 2,000 people in fellowship groups. There's 4,000 people out there floating around somewhere who are not really truly connected in the body. And so that's those are the people that we uh, still have responsibility for, spiritual responsibility, and uh, we are trying to minister to them, and we don't really know who they are sometimes. And so it's, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult.
0: So when you ask someone, and I want to keep other questions open, but when you ask someone, you know, where are you connected? Where are you serving? Where are you? And they have eyes big as saucers saying, nowhere. I just, I come to church here. And they think that's what church is. It is really um, sad and it's hard to kind of break the news to them, and then they can get, and I've had, uh, I've had widows, uh, not a lot, but I've had widows get very angry at me for assuming that, you know, that they had to do something on their behalf and give me uh, the riot act, really, about, you know, how insensitive I was, and all I'm pointing out to them is the fact that uh, they really don't know what church life is about. They haven't really extended themselves. So there is a responsibility. Now, I want to care for them. They're, they're in a transitional time in their life, unlike any other time in their life. So I, I feel very, very um, compassionate for them. And yet, at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to instruct them at the same time, to really be teaching them. And sometimes there's just a no-win situation. So sorry I can't be more specific than that. <laughs> yes? Hey, UJ. <laughs> hey, so uh, one of the challenges that I've seen over and over is dealing with senior saints and, uh, and also sick who are usually heading towards death that feel uh, useless, that they feel like they, um, they, they don't have the physical abilities anymore to, to serve as much in the church and feel like, like just kind of giving up, like what, what does God have for me? How can I be used? I'll often show them that just their faithfulness is a is an encouragement a blessing to the body but I don't know that that's always enough what would you guys say biblically is a way to encourage those that feel at the end of their life
1: like there's nothing God can do with me
3: how do we encourage them as a pastor? Well, I think there's first of all they're going to be the um, uh, teacher for the next generation and uh, the first hospital visit I ever made as a pastor I went out to see a saint to, and I hated hospitals I want you to know that John I hated hospitals, and this is the Bad first things happened there. First, first time I'm ever going out, and uh, there's a lady there, and she was in my Sunday school class, and she was just finishing getting sick, and she was witnessing to the man who was cleaning up her slop, and I'm going, "That's how you die." Christ is on your tongue to the last minute, and I've always used that as an, a tool to be able to teach others. This is where we're useful. We can still witness Christ. Uh, And that's how we have to do it. Um, I was having surgery about uh, two years ago, and the doctor said, well, we could find cancer here. We could have to remove this. We could have to do that. I said, I got a great physician. And he said, well, I'm not that good. I said, I'm not talking about you. But I think that's what we can teach. That older generation can teach the next generation. How do we pass on our faith even in those dying situations? And and frankly, I think some of the best prayer warriors are those who are stuck in bed. Yes. And to let them know they can be praying for the pastor. Pastor John needs prayer, you know, and pray for the pastors and the elders of Grace Church for faithfulness and and that you know there would be nobody that would go wayward, that kind of thing. So that's what the, the older generation needs to understand. You're there and you still have your mind. Let's use that. Okay
0: and to really value what prayer is. I think sometimes we think that prayer is um, that God doesn't really hear for some reason. It's just this thing like when you don't have anything else that you can do, pray, because at least that's a spiritual discipline, as opposed to, you know, God really listens to the prayers of the saints and is faithful. And I have gone to hospital rooms just like Bill where, and I'm sure this has been your experience as well, where you go in there, and you come out more blessed because they were so encouraging to you as they were dying. And so I'm going into them to try to share the word of God. And, you know, I usually go to Romans, you know, 8 and 9. or And I walk out of there thinking like, God, I am so thankful that you're my Savior because they minister to my heart. Like I pray that I could do to them. So I think people undervalue, as Bill was saying, the immense weight that they have in terms of just being able to be cognitive enough to be able to pray and to encourage. Um, and the opposite is also true. Maybe you need to make that as an example. To die badly is very common. Uh, to see people dying with a, a state of stubbornness and resentment. And and what a depressing you know, testimony that is to the people that are around them. And you almost don't even want them to know that they profess Christ because their, their fear has overwhelmed them.
2: So... Would you add to that, Rick? You know, I, I agree. Every t- When I go visit people that are in the hospital, you know, I, I, have a, you know, I want to encourage them. And a lot of times, we, especially those dear saints that love the Lord, I end up getting encouraged. Uh, they tell me they've been praying for me. And, and, uh, and uh, just they're such a blessing. And, and even the people in the hospital have noticed there's something different about them. There's something different about them. They have a joy. You know, that Bible talks about suffering with joy. These are the greatest examples. These are the dear saints of our church. So I totally agree with Bill. I, when I visit someone who's laying in bed, let's, they're just laying in bed. They're ill. They can't do anything anymore. And I say, you know, you can pray for us. Pray for our pastor. Pray for me. And sometimes I'll even bring them a list of people that need prayer in our church that are struggling and suffering. So I'll do that, too. So I think I totally agree that prayer is a great thing that it can do. And uh, we, they can become our prayer warriors in our church.
1: Yeah, and there's... there's um there's a whole nother group of people that we don't always think about as the first ones in our mind. And that is, is younger people too. I mean, there's, there's families um, here at this church that they have children with cancer that are going through treatment. And that's long, that's a long t- uh, term investment and it isn't just going to visit once, you know, it's, it's sending them a follow up, you know, message or text or something, let them know you're praying for them. Um, you know, recently I had the opportunity and blessing to be a part of a, a family that was at the end of a very uh, difficult road. Um, it was a young couple, and the wife um, had um, had um, leukemia, and it had a bone marrow transplant. And the transplant that was supposed to save her life. Um, Unfortunately, turned on her body and started uh, attacking her body. It's called graft versus host disease, and um, she became very, very ill and tons of pain, and eventually succumbed to the condition. But just having, just going and sitting with the family, and you know, and praying with them, and um, you know, encouraging them from the scriptures. And, and seeing her faith, I mean, she had a blog and she touched so many people with that in her suffering and, and dying well and sharing uh, her passion for Christ and her joy in impending in, in going to heaven, even as a, a young, young lady, you know, like in her, her, like her tw- late 20s. So, you know, that's another thing, you know, p- people that are losing, you know, have lost children. Uh, to miscarriage or, or some, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, you know, even younger families go through tragedy and pain and, um, and grief. And so not forgetting them and being a part of their lives is also really important. It is, you know, and they have like their whole ministry lives ahead of them, you know, and it's the kind of, kind of thing where as we minister to them, you know, in 2 Corinthians 1 is one of my favorite passages on trials and and how God comforts us and so that others could be comforted with the comfort what we are comforted with. And so you going there and, and in a sense almost modeling that compassion and comfort, they then now have a unique opportunity to minister to somebody else that's going through the same thing in a unique way. Because it's not that, no, no, I'm sorry, you don't understand. They can say, oh, yes, yeah, I do understand exactly what you're going
0: through. So, um, yeah, not forgetting the, the younger people in your congregation as well. And another thing that we've done, Jay, which I thought was really special, there was a saint here that passed away at 92, Charles Miller. Mm -hmm. And Charles Miller was a very specifically unique kind of guy, war hero from World War II. He was in Harry MacArthur's church, uh, John's grandfather. Then he was in Jack MacArthur's church, and then he was in John. So he went through all the MacArthur's. And so he had a very like three-generation kind of influence, Uh, really precious guy. Well, when he was at the end, uh, we had, you know, in our fellowship groups, we had little mini groups of folks that would come out every Sunday. It was uh, the husband, the wife, and whatever kids they had. And kids are so great. And they would just visit them every Sunday. And it was just, you know, we'd have sign ups. And it was just such a wonderful ministry. Bringing, he, he really liked candy a lot. And to bring him, you know, he wasn't supposed to have it, but, you know, uh, <laughs> we kind of smuggled it in. And uh, it was just such an encouragement to see this man light up and he would talk and talk and talk. A guy who, basically didn't talk any other time. So maybe having ministries for families to do that, at least we saw that being a wonderful thing. Now, I don't know if you're talking about just people who are, you know, on their back at that point, or they're just, I, I love that word, but I, I really loathe it too. Uh, you know, useless. I feel, and that's the true description of it, but you feel useless. And so how can they feel useful? Well, having people coming over just to converse with them, to share, to tell us about your, your testimony or share us uh, about, you know, how did, what was your life like in terms of uh, how did you choose the mate that you chose and what were the, you know, other than her being cute, how did you understand that that would be the one for you? I mean, so many people need the, the, the wisdom of the gray hair and they don't access it. And so uh, maybe construct that in some way with some teams that could go out. We have
3: some more questions. just yes, gentlemen.
1: Regarding desires to be ministered to during sickness, when to pursue people, when not to, what you've observed, things changing,
3: you know, younger people, older people. Los Angeles area is multicultural. I mean, there's all kinds of cultures here, and I think that's what you're, you're hinting at here. Uh, the only thing we can do is ask. If they don't want us to come, we don't go. I mean, that's you know you don't want to go beyond uh, and become rude. And so, yes, there are some cultures that don't want you around because this is how we handled it, and and you don't. Uh, I received a text in the middle of the service one Sunday, and I was asked to go to this cultural situation. I knew it would be, and uh, they they were asking me to come because a person was dying, but the person who asked me to come said the rest of the people that are here are dead already. In other words, they were dead spiritually. Would you please come? So I'm going to—I didn't even know the person. I only knew one in the whole room. And it was just a great opportunity to be able to show the love of Christ and uh, to all of them and to, to talk about where she was headed. Um, but sometimes they don't want you to come. And what can you do? You can't knock the door down. and And then if you're talking about the young and the old, I don't know that there's much cultural difference there within—yeah.
0: Just real quick as an add on, I had um, just did a memorial service and uh, he was most likely not a believer and so but his son wanted me to talk to his wife and his brother and so I went over there and how was I going to share the gospel so I said I just want to talk about the service itself and to make sure that you know what I want to talk about and and she said okay and I I had like three or four different times to be able to share the gospel as I was explaining what I was going to do with the service so sometimes sometimes you just have to ask the question is it okay if I talk to you sometimes they'll say yes and if they do, sometimes in the middle of it, I had this one guy almost walk out last uh, Friday from my service. I wasn't sure uh, if it was just too personal or if he just didn't like the gospel. Uh, but I think th- I think if I'm understanding your question, I think you just got to ask if they, if you can be a part of it. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes there was a guy who was at uh, Grace Church. He's in heaven now. But he was uh, in a very uh, secluded uh, caregiving situation. It was only him and a few people in this house. And I just said, would you like me to serve communion? to you and he said oh yes that'd be great so during communion service i would just go out there we'd get it on the television we would watch it live stream and then i would just serve it i if i hadn't asked him that uh, i'm sure that he would have never asked me to do it but i just asked the question is that kind of where you're going yeah that as well as just whether or not you've noticed the change in believers desire to be ministered to in their sickness oh we have a very I'm private society is that what you're idiot. going on
1: yeah, another thing um, that's really, really key is to understand as best you can different cultures and their kind of the kind of the um, the dynamics within that culture in terms of how they would want to be ministered to. Um, there are some cultures that they they want the entire family there. You know, it's going to be a group conversation. You know, they don't want just the you would administer to the one person is going to be everybody because that's that's how they do everything. Um, there are some that are very private. There are some that uh, even for the physician, um, you're never allowed to mention the word death to uh, one particular culture i'm thinking of, about because then they will think that you are trying to kill them literally if you mention you know the fact that they it looks like they're you know maybe moving toward hospice care or something like that and so the family will say well do not tell them anything um, you know you you know you can tell us but do not tell him because you're gonna they're gonna think that you're you know trying to you know, to kill them. So, you know, in, in a spiritual context, you know, just understanding the, the, as, mo- as much as you can about the culture of the, pe- the person that you're going to go minister to, maybe talking to other people in your church, uh, and just say, hey, what dynamics do I need to be aware of as, as I go to minister to this person? That's really helpful.
0: Yeah, good questions. Go I'm a physician, particularly
1: work with hospice patients. You mentioned that uh, you, you go to 2 Corinthians 1. Are there other verses or uh, biblical themes that you
0: tend to go to, a top five list, so to speak, for the dying? Top five for the dying? I I tell you what, for some reason, when I go to people and they ask me to read to them, I, I tend to go to Romans 8 and 9. I read all the way through because, you know, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I read the entire chapter. I've seen people even at that state where they're, You know, almost in a state of coma, but they're still responding to those scriptures. Um, I think also the book of Revelation, you know, 19 on, is such an encouragement uh, for them. I'm sure there's other passages that come to mind.
3: This may sound a little odd, but I would use even Psalm 23 Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. And how long is a shadow? It's not forever. The shadow of death, it's not going to last forever. You will be alive. If you're in Christ, you're going to be more alive than you've ever been before. And, and to give them that hope, because that's what they're looking forward to. I mean, that's what they're, they're thinking about. That's obviously if they have that Christian background and are um, in the Lord. And it's just a shadow. It doesn't last forever.
0: 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 17 or 18 is really, I've never done a service or been in a hospital room where I didn't read that. Uh, because it says at the end, therefore comfort comfort one another with these words, and so that's very very important. Yeah, yeah in Revelation twenty one
1: four, um, you know, just that hope that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You know, so that that future hope. Um, you know, I, I, I'd just like to share really quickly kind of a story from my own life. Um, my my own dad, um, he was um, he he ad- attained to the age of a hundred, and we shared. I shared the gospel with him many 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 times over the years, and he politely would listen to me up to a point, and then kind of his eyes would glass over, and he'd change the subject. Happened over and over and over again, but. Um, Toward the very, very, very end of his life, as he was um, what was going to be his last hospitalization, I just really felt that strong compulsion to go share with him one more time. And what I did, um, I basically didn't want to get too complex, but I, I just read Romans 5.8, you know, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, and I just told him how much I loved him, what a great dad he had been. How, you know, he had invested his life. He was also a physician, serving people and all that. I said, but Dad, you know, you know, before a holy God, that doesn't. You know, you're, you're, we're all sinners, and um, so I just, I just unpacked that for him briefly, and just asked him, um, you know, would you like to pray and receive Christ now? And he said yes, and you know. As I was pulling my jaw off the floor, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so and thankfully my wife was there, so I, I I know this actually happened. She can testify to it, <laughs> but um, but yeah, we prayed and he prayed to receive Christ, and then um, he he closed his eyes and we we're saying, Dad, you know, are you tired? Do we need to leave? And pretty much that's the last thing he ever I ever heard him say because after that he couldn't really. Uh, uh, speak to me anymore he was, he was um, kind of not really comatose but he was too weak he couldn't even talk but he said, he said praying that was the last thing he said so you know just you know the thief on the cross I think is in scripture for a reason to give us all hope and never to give up mm-hmm. so I'd just like to encourage you with that um, but yeah that was an amazing blessing but um, yeah Romans 5.8 is always going to be special in my in my heart for how the Lord used that for to save my dad Yes. Uh, I want to go back to a question to follow up on something John said earlier about um, sort of a long-term investment into some of these situations. So, if you have um, family or individuals who do have some sort of long-term suffering that you see and you're ministering to, and then there's a there's a, a real negativity and bitterness that grows sometimes within that suffering. Um, maybe some of you guys could talk about for a minute about how to encourage them maybe freshly, as time goes on? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Do you guys have any thoughts?
0: Well, you know, you yes, I, I don't know if I can in its entirety, but basically, how do you deal with those who are suffering, who become more and more embittered as time goes on? Is that a good way to summarize yeah, that's it? that's So, um, you know, this one man, again, that I'm thinking of who uh, had gone through some <laughs> devastations here at our church in terms of there was a divorce there was adultery he had repented cancer came and it just drove him to really the skeleton of a man i remember going to him and seeing him he was a kind of a muscular guy with tattoos and he had shrunken into such a a little man and those tattoos were still on him and it was just such a uh, the irony of it was so great and he was he was bitter and and i came to him uh because of his ex-wife's uh, just you know request and um i started with the book of job and i have actually gone through the book of job i preached 60 something messages through the book of job i don't know how they endured it but they did and uh <laughs> which was great for me no, there's no church like grace church who's going to do that but um our fellowship group is where I preached it. And so I was just applying the themes of Job to him because again, there was, you know, Job is a man of patience and endurance, but he was also a man who questioned God uh, all throughout the book and people forget that. And so uh, for some reason, explaining Job's plight and explaining that he never got an answer from God, God's answer to Job was, I am God. And he pours it out all through the end of the book. Um, That really helped him for some reason. Uh, And it was, uh, you know, he became, the more bitter he became to kind of find an example in scripture, which Job was, of course, on my mind, where he was a man who was embittered and yet needed to continue to trust God. That helped. Now, uh, you might want to get a really good understanding of Job before you do that. So, you know, just to uh, encourage you to study that book. But that was a good reference point.
3: I think some of their reactions of to what God is doing <clears throat> is a picture into their heart. Yeah, yeah. And, and they obviously need to have their heart ministered to. And to be able to point that out to them, it's not easy to say, your bitterness just shows that there's something wrong between your relationship between you and God. And that's what needs to be altered. You need to have the right kind of theology. Uh, Hebrews 12 uh, sticks in my mind, 14, it says that with uh, bitterness— Okay, you will not receive the grace of God. And here's, you're dying. You need the grace of God, even in your death or your sickness or whatever. And it's just to fall at your, on your face and say, Lord, you're the king in the morning, the evening, and all day long. And, uh, and to just realize that uh, he's doing this for my good and his glory. And how do you get people there? And it's a hard thing to say when they're in the midst of this pain.
2: I think, I think Job's a great example of sometimes, I, being in my ministry, I get a lot of uh, parents that are really bitter about having a disabled child. And this bitterness just won't go away for many, many years. And sometimes I'll just have them in my office, and I'll just go over how God God is a good God. He's sovereign God. Just go over the attributes of God with him, just to remind them that God hasn't dropped the ball here with your child, and God is in control. And just to go over a little lesson on God's attributes. and I'll even recommend maybe some good books for them to read. Because what's happened sometimes is when we get bitter and angry, we shrunk God down. We've kind of put him down in a, in a small, small little God. We forget that he's in control of everything, as we learned in the book of Job. So, yeah.
3: And, and Rick, when he says books, all of a sudden, book started, titles go off of my mind here. But uh, <laughs> Jerry Bridges, Trusting God, oh, yeah. the, the cut line on is even when it hurts. And, and that's, that's what we come back to is, is the, the, the point of trusting the Lord
0: so many people that say that they believe in the sovereignty of God, but it isn't personal yet. They haven't really applied it to their life. And I mean, I think we're all a little scared of that because we all would affirm that God is sovereign, but when it comes to personal suffering and loss, that's when you really know or not, if you trust him, and if you really believe that he's sovereign, you'll say he's sovereign in everybody else's life but mine. And you know, if you've ever had that thought before, which is a scary thought, um, and that's where people need to be tested.
3: You know, I'm, I'm preaching through the book of Zechariah right now, and um, I'm, on, I'm still in chapter one, which is, I got to tell you, a magnificent book. I've seen it with new eyes for sure. And uh, they, here they are. They just went through 70 years of captivity in Babylon, and, and here they've been um, persecuted there. They've been subjugated there. And uh, God said, I did it for a reason. And there are reasons sometimes when we do have suffering. And we have to keep looking. What is God trying to teach
0: me? Yes.
1: Um, just one, uh, one other thing, real quick. Just Romans eight twenty eight. I mean, I know it's one verse, but to me, it's the most powerful verse. You know, it's all things. You know, your situation, all things. You know, my situation, all things. We work together for good. You know, and in His glory, like like Bill said. When, um, when shepherding the flock uh, that suffer with anxiety and depression, it seems like there's a tension between the sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ,
0: psychology, and give medications. Can you comment on that, Bill? That's for you. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I know he's a doctor.
3: Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not one. I can't give out medication. Uh, my, my doctorate is not in medicine, okay? Um, but I want to give out the hope of Jesus Christ. And, and I know that uh, it says that uh, whatever anxiety we have, we are to be what? Thankful for it. That's what it says in Philippians 4, 6, is that we're supposed to be thankful. Thank you for bringing this anxiety. Why? Because the next thing is I'm going to pray thank you that i have this anxiety because now i have to look up i only see god yes i know the 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 um psychologist thinks that he has the answer by giving a pill but you know and i know if that one pill doesn't work then we give him another one then we give them more dosage then we give him two of them then we give him three of them and and it just changes 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 until they think they found the right thing and now you got a person who can't even think they're they're done i mean they they got no life to them anymore uh, and I say, God brings those anxieties for a reason. It's like if I went up to Tom and I grabbed him by the collar, I'm going to get his attention. And that's what God is doing, I think, to some of these folks saying, I want you to look at me and I want you to search for me. And so that, that's what I see as this anxiety. Now, do I understand that, <clears throat> you know, you're going to come up to a surgery that you could be a little bit anxious about it. But where do we put our trust? This is not our greatest life now. We have something to look forward to. And, and I think so many people put their trust in this life and not in the next. And so I, I don't know. You'd have to come for my anxiety uh, um, seminar that I take two hours to go through and uh, – Anyway, but that's that's basically it in a nutshell.
0: You know, a great book is uh, Spiritual Anxiety by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, if you don't know Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry, he was... Um, Spiritual he was, depression. Yeah, excuse me, what did I say? Anxiety. Oh, um, well, I'm kind of anxious about that. Um, <laughs> it, it, Martin Lloyd-Jones was actually a doctor to the, the royalty of England, and yet then he dropped out of that to be a pastor, and that's where we know him in that mm-hmm. way. But he, in that book, Spiritual Depression, he says you know, for you to uh, not listen to yourself, but talk to yourself. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression. Counseling Meaning, yourself, yeah. Meaning uh, not to listen to the, the ideas and the lies that come up through your anxious things, but to instead preach to yourself the truth. And I have found that coming from a doctor has been an incredible insight to me, even someone who could pr- prescribe, but decided, no, the focus should be, again, what you believe and to continue to tell yourself what you believe. John, do you want anything to add to that as a doctor? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough situation for what I do because I'm a primary care physician, and a lot of people, um, I've heard it said that probably half of the people that are there in your practice are there because they are anxious, depressed, you know, or they have physical symptoms that is because they're anxious and depressed, not necessarily that they have a disease. You know, you do 500 medical tests and find nothing, um, you know. So, you know, for the non-believer. Um, you know, I will treat them with medications a lot of times because that's what they want to do. I, um, You know, I'll never forget this one elderly Jewish lady that I was taking care of. And, um, you know, I was just trying to... She was saying how depressed she was and down and blue and no no joy in anything in life anymore. And, you know, I said to her, um, so I know know you're Jewish. Are you involved in any kind of a, you know... um, a congregation or, you know, I just trying to feel out a little bit about if she had any, you know, spiritual interest about anything. And she said, no, I think religion's a crutch. Could you get me some Prozac? (laughs) So, you know, which, yeah. Worshiping something else. It was, (laughs) yeah, really, really, yeah. I don't think she saw the, the, what I saw as far as the comedy of that particular answer, but, um, Bless, yeah, okay, if that's what you want, okay. But you, know, but, you know, the great joy that I have is when I am caring for Christians that go through hard times and getting to pray with them and share Scripture with them. Um, you know, a couple of verses that I go to, this is what I prescribe my Christian patients, you know, instead of pills usually. Although there have been times when people that I know are very, are, they're godly people that I've known maybe for years, Who are in a particular situation that is so stressful and so difficult that they kind of need to get out of, get some respite from. Um, I might use medications for a short time to try to, you know, they're they're praying like crazy, they're reading their Bibles like crazy, they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, they're just, they're just, you know, it's just such a horrible situation emotionally that they just kind of can't calm down. So I kind of help them for a short time and then try to get them off it as soon as possible. Um, You know, which that's at least, I can think of at least one situation over the years that that was really successful and the person's doing fantastic and back to their normal, you know, um, uh, Christian life. But um, like Isaiah 26, um, three and four, I, I love sharing this with people. It's the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And, you know, just keeping their minds steadfast on the Lord and not looking at their their, uh, their problems. You know, it's kind of, I also like to go to, you know, Peter. As long as he was looking at the Lord, he was walking on water, and as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he started sinking. And so just an exhortation to them to, you know, try to, you know, seek, to seek the Lord, keep their eyes on the Lord, you know, there's, there's so many other ones too, you know, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, um, you know, um, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 about God's um, faithfulness new every morning. You know, there's just a lot of places that you can take people, you know, that are really helpful to um, provide them comfort and uh, a focus rather than on themselves and their situation. That's a lot of it is taking them off of themselves, their eyes off of themselves and their situation and getting back on the Lord.
0: Front row, right here. Uh, I'm getting in trouble. Are you saying that no medications at all for? I'm a psychiatric chaplain, uh, hospital chaplain for many years, and uh, a bipolar or schizophrenic. Uh, you're saying we should not give them the medication for that? Well, every case is very, very specific and different. If they're already on medication, it would have to be go through a doctor's permission to tell them to go off. Uh, but, but the premise is that every issue is a spiritual issue. Um, it could be that over time... Physical damage, drug abuse, uh, all kinds of things have actually changed their their actual phys- uh, physiology, and therefore they might need to be treated for that. But the that the origin of the issue is spiritual. That the origin of the issue is sin. In other words, you know, the Bible was given to us, and and you know, as the the map for living, and yet Jesus never addresses. And there were it wasn't like there weren't doctors. I mean, Luke was a doctor, so you can't say there wasn't some kind of you know premise for being able to say, "Well, take." Uh, I don't know what they gave in those days. <laughs> take two of these, take another coconut. But uh, to be able to sit there and say to yourself... Little wine for your stomach. Little wine for your stomach. There you go. There's a biblical reference. Uh, a little wine, I think he said. And uh, so, but there is there is a spiritual underlining issue, like, you know, legion or or whoever, they're saying there's, there's de- demonic possession. And I think we kind of opt toward, uh, this is the idea, we opt toward the pill too quickly. And we think that that's going to, kind of put a band-aid on an artery yeah I, I, and i agree with many issues that we shouldn't be turning just a pill for it yeah. it is a spiritual thing yeah but some of them you know uh, it's case by case he, i don't think you can say never
3: There, there's um yeah. somebody gave me a gift a few years ago of the dsm-5
0: <laughs> sleeping medicine
3: uh <laughs> And, uh, and I asked the fellow how much it cost him. He says it was free for me because I'm a doctor. And uh, he gave it to me, and I started looking at it. And I started looking at the DSM-5 and looking at my Bible at the same time. Not that I thought they were equivalent, okay? But I found certain people in the Bible that were actually in the DSM-5. I couldn't believe it. And I started to see that Nebuchadnezzar would have been a definite schizophrenic. So why did he have a schizophrenia? because he was in opposition to God, because he wanted to be God, because he wanted to be first. I actually saw, believe it or not, David in the depressive state when he was before the king of Gath. I mean, he's, he's foaming at the mouth, depressive but after he sinned with Bathsheba. So there are certain things that cause humanity to respond to life, and sometimes sin. And, uh, so I want to be careful before I run off and say, you know, you need to go, um, to a psychologist, psychiatrist, or a doctor to solve that when it may be the guilt of their sin on their heart and they haven't dealt with it. Now, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 42, you can go uh, lots of places and see where, um, the word of God would be helpful for someone. Now, Obviously, uh, as a biblical counselor, I want to make sure everybody knows I am not a medical doctor. I I was once working with a gal who had OCD, and uh, I told her right from the beginning, you have OCD, you're on medication. I'm not here about the medication. I'm here about your spiritual. And I I work with her, and, and before you knew it, she's... Finished with OCD. She's not driving around the block seven times to make sure she didn't drive over somebody. She's not going in stores and making sure she didn't knock anything down, but she's actually living life like a, a human being. And so she took herself off the medication. She got terribly sick. You cannot do that. I told her from the beginning, go back to your doctor and help yourself, uh, help him, have him help you come off that medication. So I'm not a doctor. I don't want anyone to ever to think that I'm that kind of a doctor. In the
1: Question. back. Question. And a lot of times, our counselors um, will, um, uh, will, will recommend a person get a checkup with their, with their pri- um, primary physician because there's a lot of uh, medical conditions. Yeah. That are easily correctable things with you know like thyroid medications, things like that. If the person is you know severely hypo or hyperthyroid, and that's one example, you know that's easily correctable, and it's not necessarily a spiritual problem. It's a it's a physical problem, and once that's corrected, mm-hmm. then they can focus and
0: listen diabetes to diabetes as
3: well. And there's other things. Yes,
0: yeah. I had one woman come exactly. to me and said that um, she wants John MacArthur to stop uh, moving into her neighborhood because uh, it's become a real distraction for her. And I said, well, let me double check. And so I asked the main office, I go, does John still live where he's always lived? And they go, yeah. And I go, good news, uh, he's not in your neighborhood. She goes, yes, he is. And his security people are following me. And and so I said, why don't you get a physical checkup? Why don't you just go to make sure you're okay, make sure you're doing okay, because this is completely delusional. And um, so sometimes you have to do that because it could be a thyroid. It could be an issue. It could be many different things. And so before I jump to... Um something really, really severe like the fact that she might be um, you know, in some kind of spiritual plight. I wanna first go to, you know, maybe you do need to go to a doctor. Last but li- uh, not least.
3: question. Um, in ministering to the spiritual heart, how do you um minister to those who are cognitively
2: impaired? Who may not be able to understand a lot of the deep truths of scripture or simple truths
0: of scripture? Rick, that's you. Rick. Yeah, that's Rick. Rick.
2: I'm, I'm, ask, you know, I think there I try to I don't know if this is on or not. Yeah, you're good. Switch. We'll just switch here for a second, I guess. Um, yeah, that's my ministry, really. But <laughs> but I think the the key is that we know the, that God can speak to their hearts and the Word of God can speak to their hearts. And I, in my ministry, I've had to lean on that because we have a lot of people that, uh, you know, if they were to die today, they're probably not. They're gonna. They're not gonna. They're gonna go to heaven because they're not at the age of accountability. They don't have the cognitive uh, understanding of Scripture. But. Um, I believe that God can speak to their heart through His Word, no matter what their cognitive situation is. I've, that's the way I've, That's kind of been my philosophy in this ministry, is that God can, no matter how, what medical condition they have, that God can still speak to their hearts
3: through I, His I Word. Th- I think you'd be surprised how much they can understand. Um, we had a pastor on our staff years ago who had a son who was uh, Down syndrome. And uh, unless you knew it, you you would see him in his classroom, and he was a better-behaved child than the rest of them. I'm serious. And uh, you, you would wonder, it's not because he was just, you know, no. He, it was because his parents work with him, and, and they spent time with him, and, and they disciplined him, and all of those kinds of things. So they can understand. Whether they can understand the spiritual or not, I'll leave that up to the Lord.
0: You know, it's interesting because it's just like raising children, if you ask me. It's just a stewardship issue. Because if they're in your midst and you can teach them the truth, whether or not they receive it, you teach them the truth. And they're like children, you know, as they're growing up, you don't know at what point their left hand and right hand, they know which one is which. You continue just to be faithful. So many parents even have the uh, burden of thinking, wow, I, I've done all this and yet my my child is rogue and they've, they've left the church and, you know, I've done the wrong thing. And we continually point them back to, no, as long as you've been faithful with the stewardship given to you and so in the same way any ministry like that rick's ministry is really just a ministry of stewardship i think uh being faithful regardless of the receptivity to it or not yeah yeah, yeah. question sometimes okay. the, when you have someone with cognitive issue,
1: like uh, alzheimer's or dementia or something like that it's not so much the cognitive that's the problem it's the emotional instability that yeah. comes in and you talk mm-hmm. yeah that when they start getting hostile when they never were before and those kinds of
2: things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, that's a difficult one. I think we can get an Alzheimer's dementia on that whole situation. I know we've talked about, we have a support group and we deal with a lot of that and that's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. Um, you know, uh, you have to learn to find the key sometimes to get through to them. You know, the Lord, and the Lord can help you with that. I don't know if you guys.
0: And sometimes that's a medication issue too, it isn't it? It could be an, an over-medication too. or a wrong medication.
2: Yeah. I
3: yeah, know. I have a granddaughter who has one and a half chromosomes missing okay it just is and um we didn't think she'd be able to read or write or you know those kinds of things she can mm-hmm. uh it took a lot of effort took a lot of time um you know at in the beginning she was a little bit more disobedient than others and it's not that way anymore and uh, my my kids just stuck with it and they worked at it and um so there are things now I, again uh, because of the issue that she has, there are, there are very few cases of it. And so they don't have any uh, history of what could happen for the future. But she can um, relate to some degree. She has difficulty understanding uh, what people are doing to her, though. Um, that's the one thing that uh, she's very sort of blank on. She doesn't have that kind of awareness. So her parents have to keep teaching her and teaching her and teaching her. So same thing there.
0: We can end maybe with just this one thought. I asked Pastor John years and years ago, if you could just teach me one lesson in pastoral ministry that would be important, what would be the one piece of advice you would give me? And he said, be patient, be patient. And I think with this entire discussion, underlining all of it is just Be patient with your people uh, because they're going to need it and you're going to need to ask the Lord for a lot of it, okay? Can I pray to end our time? Let's go. Father, thank you for these men, for their questions, so many questions that we're not even asked that are still needing to be asked. And we just pray that you would answer them through your word, that you would use what we have said to encourage the men who are here, help them to go back to their ministries, the, the people that are there that are in their care, and help them to learn to patiently care for those who are yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.